It is my pleasure to reintroduce to you Wayne Smith, one of our members and the director of Samaritan Ministry. Thank you, Wayne, for coming and joining me on this day. Uh, about two and a half years ago now, I, I met with Wayne one day. I needed help, or we needed help, with a, a subcommittee as part of our game plan. And I met with Wayne, and I said, would you be willing to take this on? It would be about three months to finish this. And he said, no. And he said, but I'll be in charge of the Ram Clinic. And I said, done. One of the best decisions I ever made. I'm not sure I could say the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was a long, and then that was, and then COVID came. And oh, then, boy. But we are here today to remember and to celebrate all that took place with the Ram Clinic. So uh, how, how would you like, big picture, successful or not successful? Well, it was successful in so many ways. We served about 385 people, people received medical services over two days. Uh, that was limited by space and by number of providers, but we were certainly pleased about that. You all responded in such a wonderful way. We had, we had 400 volunteers Friday, Saturday, and Sunday here on our, on our campus, and uh, you all represented half, at least half of those, more than half of those. So I just want to thank all of you for when that. When we say volunteers, I'm just a volunteer. You're, I was told to be here at 5 o'clock in the morning. I get here at 5 o'clock in the morning. There are people who have been here all night long volunteering in the parking lots. Patients are here all night long holding their spot in the parking lot. People have been here already preparing meals long before our long before arrived at 5 we arrived. It was very humbling. And, and one of the reasons we're here today, we want to talk about, and we'll recognize them in a little while, but we had a tremendous team of yeah. people that made all these little parts and pieces uh, happen, pulled all that together. It was certainly not an effort of just a handful of people. So RAM is not a faith-based organization. Um, Correct. Which I think is wonderful for us to partner outside of. Correct. Um, many people within that, are, I mean, they're involved in RAM because of their faith, but it's not a faith-based organization. So how did RAM, and they don't normally work, it's not a, a usual model working with churches. So how did RAM respond? RAM partners with, with uh, some churches, but it's usually not that partnership. And ours was unusual because we got to know RAM over a period of, like you said, two and a half years. Uh, we heard things... Um, uh, I think some of it was up on the screen a minute ago, if you could read it. With a, One of the people in leadership with RAM, uh, there it is, thank you, Sarah, um, was sitting down here in the pew with Laura and I on Saturday morning, and we were, the clinic was underway, and this guy's name is Poppy Green, and Poppy said, uh, I've, I've looked at your website, and I've learned what the mission of your church is. And he said, it's Christ centered, community focused. He said, I think you've got that down. And we heard over and over again from staff, from RAM volunteers, and especially from the patients that they were greeted so warmly. One of the, one of the RAM staff said, we appreciate so much you taking such good care of our patients and treating them with such dignity. So that's what we heard from RAM. So tell me about the patients. Um, there were a lot of people that came for medical services that they needed desperately. Uh, many came 
uh, Friday morning to be seen on Saturday morning and waited in the parking lot all night with our great parking lot team. Um, just a couple of stories that I could share with you. Uh, uh, there was a, uh, a woman that came to get a tooth pulled and waited, you know, in line, got here probably um, Saturday morning or Friday night before 10 o'clock p.m. so she could get in line. And when, when a doctor saw her, he discovered that it was likely that she had cancer in her mouth. It wasn't just about a simple uh, tooth to be pulled. And so um, I think I met her when you were sitting with her in the racquetball court having prayer. You'd called for me to come down and to get together with her. Turns out she had a, she had a friend drive her down from Teleco Village, uh, and a neighbor, and stay all night, all day here to get her home. And uh, she was scared to death. She didn't know what she was going to do for follow-up. We had a wonderful dentist who agreed to go the extra mile and make contact with UT Medical Center to get her in to have this taken care of. It's one story. Um, her name was Teresa. Um, Melanie Kirk, one of our providers down here, is sitting over here today. She uh, got the call to serve as a as a medical provider in our medical area, and and uh, all day long, people saw uh, several doctors and uh, pr uh, uh, professionals that were physicians' assistants or or nurse practitioners to receive medical uh, medical care. And at the end of the day, on 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 Saturday, there was this one patient who was still back with a doctor, and we didn't know what that was all about because we were sitting out, kind of waiting for things to wrap up. It turns out that a young woman uh, came to the clinic for pretty severe issues that she had. And uh, what did she get when she came to our clinic? Not just a doctor, but a young woman who was in her age group who could sit and listen to her story of abuse with an empathetic ear and then walk outside that, that medical area and ask our church to do more. Uh, that's what's different about our clinic. That was what was different about our clinic. It wasn't just the medical services, but it was more. And I know we had members um, who were here just to pray with folks who were interested. We did. We had ask, a great prayer uh, team. Which is an unusual part. It had some unusual <laughs> part. Made Ram a little nervous that we were having a prayer team. I think, I think they thought we were going to slam people over the head with Bibles when they walked by. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, our prayer team did a great job, and as it turned out, we had people who were very nervous about yeah. being here, very nervous about receiving medical services, very nervous about seeing a dentist. David, you need to be nicer to people than Daniel. <laughs> um, very nervous, and our prayer team ended up sitting with those people and bringing them down off that ledge because some of them had never seen a dentist before and had serious dental problems. And, and in some cases, we're talking about folks who walked in and had every, every tooth pulled. Every, every tooth, tooth pulled. pulled. Yeah. That. yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, something a little more practical. Okay. Uh, it was a lot, of, a lot of work going in. Um, it's not really cheap to pull off. It's um, not. Anything about the cost you'd like to update us on? We were nervous going into this because we anticipated that our clinic might cost thirty, thirty-five thousand dollars to 
to pull off. Because we had and agreed, that's a lot of money. unlike some, we had agreed uh, if there were any um, biopsies that needed to be done, lab work, uh, lab work, we would cover that cost. Any uh, immediate prescriptions, we would cover yes, that cost. Yes, we, we had, yeah, we had signed on heavily in the beginning, and on faith, we went to our community and asked our community to help us. And uh, the response was unbelievable. You saw a slide earlier of our faith partners in the community. Uh, and these are churches that didn't just provide volunteers, although they did provide volunteers. These are churches that wrote checks. There, that slide again, thank you. These are churches that wrote checks. Some of the checks were large ones. And, uh, and then we had, we had wonderful, generous contributions from you. And so bottom line, we were in the black at the end of the clinic, and probably by the end of this coming week, we will write a check to, to, uh, to RAM for all of our excess funds that were given, uh, maybe in the neighborhood of five or six thousand dollars. Thank you. Thank you. And and before you um, recognize the team, uh, I also heard a great story that at the end, it's the teardown. It's the teardown. It's the teardown, and it typically takes hours and hours. And would you tell that story? Well, we, Ram, we told Ram we would supply volunteers to do everything that was needed, and they didn't believe us because they don't know you. And so on setup and teardown, they were anticipating on Sunday afternoon being here till 8 o'clock at night, gathering all their equipment and loading all of their trucks and doing all those things. And I think we were finished at three o'clock. So we heard, we've never seen anything like this. This has never happened before. So that's uh, pretty remarkable. Would you talk about our leadership team and introduce them? Sure, first of all, I wanna recognize Frank Dunn. Frank is over here with his lovely wife, Nancy. And um, when we started this journey three and a half years ago, Frank agreed to be uh, my partner in crime as we were uh, became known. And uh, I just want to personally thank Frank for for walking for walking beside me every step of the way, uh, checking me when I needed to be checked, um, reminding me that my anger was not okay when I was angry. and uh, and we had a wonderful relationship. We've always had a wonderful friendship, but this relationship, in leadership with Ram was remarkable. Thank you, Frank. Um, I'd like for, let's see, first of all, let me ask the congregation, if you participated in the Ram Clinic in any way, you volunteered, gave money, prayed for us, would you please stand? We'd love to see who you are. Thank you. We had a wonderful team of, uh, we called it the RAM leadership team that met uh, every month for, th for almost three years to put this clinic together. And when we started in 1999, I never dreamed we'd be doing a clinic in 2022 and that the same people would be sitting at the table with us to make it happen. So would you all stand our leadership team please? This is just a, a great bunch of people. 
Uh, they represent several churches in our community. Uh, friends of ours, we've become close friends. And thank you, thank you, thank you for helping us make all this happen. Thank you. Thank you, Wade. Thank you for saying yes. And thank you for saying no. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> thank you for being this church. Amen. Just sit down. Yeah, it's fine. It was a young girl who prayed this. Oh, God, make all the bad people good and make all the good people nice. That's a good prayer, isn't it? Make all the bad people good and make all the good people nice because we know all the good people aren't always nice. And we return today on our journey, Jesus 365, all year long walking with Jesus. And now this fall, we're in the Sermon on the Mount. And we're on the section called the Antitheses. And that is Jesus will state a thesis, a, a well-known belief, in this case, going back to the law, going back to something in the Old Testament. You have heard that it was said, and then he'll say, but I say. Let's, let's revisit this again. Let's take another look at this. Let's return to it. And last week we looked at some of those and said one of the things Jesus is accomplishing is saying to religious people, you think you're righteous because you kept the letter of the law? You think now you have the right to point out the sins of other people? You find joy in pointing out the sins of other people? Let's go back to what God really intended. Really, did God just draw the line at murder? Or is it all of the emotions and broken relationships and anger that can lead up to someone committing murder? And we're still in those antitheses, but we see a shift now, not just talking about this faulty concept of righteousness, but Jesus is going to talk about character. Character is important. How do we live? How do we conduct ourselves? Jesus will talk about the kingdom of God. It is here now, but it is also to come. We're in that in-between time. It's what someone called the presence of the future. And so I direct your attention again to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not take oaths at all, but fulfill the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, don't swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. But anything more than this is from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not retaliate against an evildoer. But if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you or take your shirt, give your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to the one who asks of you and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Character matters. It's important. Jesus tells us that one day God will right all the wrongs. 
that one day God's intentions will be fully revealed. And we now have not only the privilege but the opportunity of living those intentions now and modeling for our neighbors and our community how God intended us to live and love and relate and struggle. So this is what we know. Jesus confronts evil. Jesus encounters it in life in multiple ways, and when he encounters it, he confronts it. And Jesus will not tolerate doing nothing. Either Jesus himself or for his followers, that is not an option, doing nothing about evil. On the other hand, Resorting to violence is not an option for Jesus either or for his followers. So the usual options are two. One, when you encounter evil in the world in which you live, when you encounter evil and evil is done to you or to someone that you know, to someone that you love, someone you witness, one option is flight. It is compliance. It is passivity. It is withdrawal. It is surrender. Usually the second option that people talk about or that we witness throughout history instead of flight is to fight. Armed revolt, violent rebellion, direct retaliation, revenge. And yet here on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus offers us a third option, a third way. You have heard that it was said, and he quotes from Exodus and a couple of other places in the Old Testament, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And in Exodus, it even adds a hand for a hand and a foot for a foot, which, by the way, was a great improvement on what was there before where you could take a life for an eye or a life for a foot or a life for a hand. And now Jesus challenges that. And we struggle with it. We read these words. And we wonder, what is Jesus really saying? What is he really asking of me? What is he really expecting? I do love, however, the way Wycliffe translates this. This goes all the way back for the 14th century, one of our earliest English translations, and he puts it this way. But I say to you that ye against stand not an evil man. We don't use the word against stand, but I'm lobbying for it to come back this week. Because he's translating this Greek term, antistani, and it means to revolt or rebel. It means to resist violently. It's more than just stand against. It's to engage in insurrection. It's to retaliate against. And Jesus is saying, that's not what I want you to do as people of God. You cannot let the oppressor set the terms for your opposition. And we struggle with it because we're not part of this culture. 
first century Judaism. We're not part of what it means to live in ancient Palestine. There are customs that are taking place there. There are words that are used here that are not part of this. And we read it from our perspective and our time period. And we're saying, is Jesus just saying, let people run over us? Is Jesus just saying, let people take advantage of you? What is Jesus saying to this crowd of people who have gathered here on this day as he has also said the kingdom of God is among you and God is now doing something new? So if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And it is a different time and it's a different place. And it's a time where the left hand is used for unclean tasks. And we don't even think about those terms, what is ritually and culturally acceptable and unclean, but it's a big deal. Qumran, which is this community of very religious people who have withdrawn from Jerusalem because Jerusalem has gone to the dogs. If you even gesture with your left hand, 10 days penance, 10 days from the community. If you cannot do that, that is not the correct hand. And so we have a very structured society. We have a very structured, we have a lot of symbolism that's taking place. And here is part of that language. If you are my equal and I'm angry with you, I strike you with the right hand. If you're beneath me, I strike you with the left. Unfortunately, it's far too common. Slave owners backhanding slaves. Husbands backhanding wives. Parents backhanding children. Romans backhanding Jews. The whole point of striking with the backhand is not to hurt them, but to get people who are out of line back in place if anyone strikes you because Jesus knows it happens to them Jesus knows it may happen to them that day before they return home go back and read the last paragraph of Matthew chapter 4 and see the list of people who have shown up to listen to him that day and he knows this is the world in which they live and he tells them if someone strikes you back. Turn the other cheek. You're not in a position of power. Make them treat you like an equal. Stand there and show them that you too are made in the image of God. And show them that as a child of God, you will not be treated that way. And you will not be looked down upon this is not an act of compliance. This is not an action where you're letting people run over you. This is an action where you are standing up and saying, you cannot treat me that way no longer. I am now part of the kingdom of God. There's this ancient collection of, of the oral traditions, the teachings of the rabbis. It's called the Mishnah. There's a section of the Mishnah that actually has the penalties for what it means to strike another Jew, for one Jew to strike another Jew. Here are the penalties. If you slug someone with a fist, this is all backwards to me. Let me just say right now, if you're very angry with me and you feel the need to hit me today, I would much rather you slap me than to hit me with a fist. 
Evidently, that's not the preferred way. And so here, if you slug someone with a fist, the penalty is four zoos. Uh, a zoos is about a day's wage. So four days wage. You hit someone with a fist, four days wage. If you slap them, which is to insult them, which is to embarrass them publicly, 200 sues, 200 days wage. If you strike an equal with the backhand, 400 days sues, 400 days wage. And Jesus, in the midst of this teaching of these people who have come out hearing about hope for the future, about God's dream, and going back to God's intentions for community and what it means to live, has the audacity to say to them, and if someone strikes you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. And he isn't saying roll over and let them run over you. He isn't saying, he is saying, it is time for us to confront evil in the world in which we live, and it is time to take power away from these people who have been abusing you and who are no longer living as God intended them to live. That's his first example. His second one is even more startling. It's the setting of a courtroom. It's the story of a creditor who has taken someone's outer cloak. Now, let's, let's back up just a little bit in the world in which they live. It's, first of all, a Jewish setting. Deuteronomy 24 makes it very clear. If you owe me money and now you have nothing left, uh, uh, you are, and all you, uh, you, you no longer have a home, you no longer have a farm, uh, I get to take your outer coat, that long robe, I get to take that from you as collateral until you pay off that debt. However, at the end of the day, you come to me and I'm required by, by Jewish law, I'm required to give you back that long, so at least you have a blanket to wrap up in at night. And in the morning, you have to come back to me and you have to give me that collateral, that last thing that you have that shows that you are now in debt to me and you still owe this. And it is out of control. Indebtedness was a plague in first century Palestine. Think about how many of the parables you remember Jesus teaching about people who are in debt. Think about how many parables Jesus gave about absentee landowners because emperors taxed the wealthy people heavily. And they're looking for non-liquid investments, a place to hide their wealth. And the land is the best place to do it. But the land is owned ancestrally and passed on. And so interest rates go up and up and up. And at the time of Jesus, interest rates may range anywhere from 25% to 250%. 95% of the land in the Roman Empire is owned by 5% of the people. And that is not what God imagined. It is not what God dreamed. It is not what God intended for people to live in God's image and how they are to relate to one another. And now we have this embarrassment of greed. And if someone comes to you and they say, all right, I'm suing you and now you have to give me your outer coat. I've taken everything else from you. I've taken your land. I've taken your home, I've taken your way of providing for your family, and now you're reduced to being a day laborer, and now in front of everyone, in the, I'm now taking your outer coat. 
Jesus says, hang on, Baptist, strip down. Take it all off. Give them everything in front of everybody. Go ahead. Shock everyone about their greed. Shock them about how wrong this system is. Let them see this is not about rolling over and letting people take advantage of you. Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is now here and life is going to be different. And one day God is going to right all the wrongs and we begin now. And you think you have no power. You think you have no voice. You think you have nowhere to go. Why don't you use the very system itself against those who are abusing the system and abusing you and abusing your neighbors? Go ahead. Take it all off. Let them see just how evil they are. Let everyone see just how greedy they are. Let everyone see. He gives another example. So if someone forces you to go one mile, go two. This one's actually quite interesting to me. There's part of this, or at least there are some limitations on this, and that is, let's imagine for a moment that I'm a member of the Roman military, and at times the military has to move quickly and deploy. And if you're a little higher in the ranks and you've got some money, it's not unusual for them to own a pack animal or to even have bought a slave to help carry their packs as they are moving. But if you're down a little lower, there's a law that helps you with this. You can grab anyone out of the crowd. Grab anyone out of the village. Grab anyone off the street. Hand them your 65-pound pack and tell them you have to carry this for one mile. And the Romans were very meticulous. Some of those mile markers are still there on some of those roads you can see today. You remember the story in Mark's gospel. Simon pulled out of the crowd by a Roman soldier and forced to carry the cross of Jesus. Similar law exactly what he's done there are stories of entire villages emptying out as the military is coming through because they don't have the time and they don't want to do this and Jesus says if someone forces you to go one mile go two he's insane let them run over you he's saying show them who you are they can't treat you this way you're a child of God. They can't take advantage of you anytime they want to. What happens when you turn to that Roman military? What happens when you turn to that officer or that and you go, no, I'll carry it another mile now. Now you've got to treat me like an equal. You might even have to answer for this. There are very specific rules about this. What happens if you make someone go one mile? That's legal. Two miles, there are specific rules about how they're going to be punished. Left up to the next person in the chain. Maybe have to camp outside. Maybe denied food. Maybe they have to stand all day outside the ranking officer's tent. Maybe it's just a reprimand. And Jesus isn't saying He's well aware of the revolt that are taking place. He's well aware of the anger that's in the culture. He's aware well about some of the movements that are taking place. He isn't saying, oh, become a friend of them and then slip a knife between their ribs. No. Because the next one he's going to talk about, you know, your enemies are made in the image of God too. 
So carry it another mile, which you don't have to do. Carry it another mile, which now they have to treat you like an equal. Carry it another mile and see where the conversation goes. The rules are Caesar's, but how you respond to the rules is God's. And Caesar has no control over that. So what's Jesus really doing? Not telling them to roll over. Not telling them to be passive. But a nonviolent way of confronting the evil in their world and beginning to bring about the reality of God's kingdom, God's rule, God's desire. Because first and foremost, this is about hope. That the way they live now is not the way they always have to live. That the what they are experiencing now isn't what they always have to experience. About the hopes and dreams they may have had at one time for their children and their family are not hopes and dreams that they have to give up. That this is not always the way God has intended for them to live and it's not always the way they're going to have to live that God isn't happy with the evil they are experiencing and God isn't happy with the evil that you are experiencing. Kosuke Koyama, a Japanese Protestant theologian who, who died a few years ago, was returning from some meetings in Russia. He was in Moscow. He's on an airline, uh, a New Zealand airline, and he's reflecting on the days he has spent in Russia working with churches that are there and leaders that are there and just the stark contrast. And this is what he writes. Watching the wrinkled faces and the rough hands of the old Russian women, I saw trouble that produced endurance. They fended off despair by working on through intolerable situations. In endurance, life is taken seriously. Trouble is not shared or avoided. It is faced. There is no hope apart from troubles. Hope is hope against all odds. Such hope, says Paul in the gospel, does not disappoint us. Love produces wrinkles and rough hands. And Jesus is saying to people with wrinkles and rough hands, people who are facing trouble in their life, people who thought they had no one to speak for them, no power, no hope, no change, wait a minute. Doesn't Emmanuel mean God with us? Has God forgotten us? No, not at all. Because the second thing Jesus is doing... This is about our calling and our conduct in the world now. And there is a part of what we talk about when we share the gospel and the good news, and there's a part of what we talk about when we talk about um, having a relationship with God and finding forgiveness of our sins and experiencing the grace of God that is about life beyond what we live now. It is about eternal life. But there's also much of the gospel and much of what Jesus talked about that's about life now that is about justice, that is about rightness, that is about God's continued love for creation and what God is doing even now in the kingdom of God in which we are called. So this is about your life. This is about your time. This is about your resources. This is about how you go throughout your week. And I'll throw one more. 
And your journey now is to reflect honestly. Your journey is to look around. Your, your spiritual journey as a follower of Christ, what are you seeing? Where does this fit into your life? And where do you see evil? Where do you see injustice? In every, in every follower of Jesus' life, somewhere along the way, somewhere along, for every person in here, the day is going to come when you must become the answer to your own prayers. The day will come for every one of you when you must become the answer to your own prayers. And it's not that God has forgotten you. It's not that God is absent. It's not that God hasn't been listening to your prayers or that God doesn't care. It's that God has been waiting for you. Waiting for you to say yes. Waiting for you to find the courage to turn the other cheek. Waiting for you to find the courage, whole old Baptist, to strip down. Waiting for you to say, this is not what God intended for me, for my family, for my community, for my neighbors. This is not what God's love means. So listen to some of these phrases and see which ones connect with you to find a creative alternative to violence, to seize the moral initiative, to assert your own humanity and dignity as a person made in God's image, to break the cycle of humiliation, to expose the injustice of the system, to deprive the oppressor of a situation where the show of force is effective, to shame the oppressor into repentance, to die to the fear of the old order and its rules, to make the powers that be make decisions for which they are not prepared, to meet force with ridicule or humor. But you know if you're going to follow Jesus, it also gets very serious to be willing to undergo the penalty of breaking unjust laws, to be willing to suffer rather than retaliate. Would you read this one with me one more time? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. A name that older members will recognize, younger members, you're just going to have to Google them later on. There was an interview with Mickey Rooney late in his life. Famous child actor. At the time of the interview, he was on his ninth marriage. First wife died tragically of cancer. Second wife, tragically, a homicide. And then a series of very unhappy relationships. And the current wife was married to for 25 years. And the interviewer had the audacity to ask, what changed? Rooney responded, what changed? I gave my life to Christ. That changed everything. 
I had lived my life in chaos. I was a millionaire when I was a child. I participated in every form of human degradation. Then 25 years ago, I gave my life to Christ, warts and bruises and all. And that's made all the difference. This morning, we offer to you a chance to make a difference. To experience Christ in your life, warts and bruises and all. Yeah just like the rest of us. Come and experience God's grace and God's forgiveness. And while you're there, find a purpose in life. Make a difference. Don't be surprised that hearing the words of Jesus today will change how you live this week. Let's pray. And so, Lord, we open ourselves up to the challenge, your dream, your love, your commitment to all of creation, your love for every person in this room. Hear the pain. Empower the hope. And make all the difference in our world. Christ's name we pray. Amen. We invite you to stand. If we can pray with you this morning, introduce Christ to you this morning, or encourage you on this journey, we give you this chance.